Morning, everyone. Morning. I mean, I thought this chair was a good idea, but I'm not sure I'm going to stay up here. I feel a bit wobbly. wobbly. Okay. <laughs> this will add to the drama if I fall For off. For those online or those in the room who don't know us, uh, I'm Colin, and this is my wife, Jo. Hello. And today you've got a double act. Ooh. In the sort of um, afternoon television style on the sofa type, type experience. Lounging. I hope you enjoy this. Unusual, but we'll go with <laughs> that. We'll go with that. So we're on a, a series in um, looking at talks called Back to School. And who, like me, shuddered when they put that title up? Anyone? <laughs> who has me? bad memories of Back to School? <laughs> back to School. Yeah. Uh, we're looking at uh, five different aspects. We're looking at physical, spiritual, relational, emotional, and financial. We are. We are. And didn't JJ do well last week? He Talking did. about physical health. It was brilliant. It was really good. He, he basically, I, I took away from that that if we, in the light of our new identity with Christ, that should have an impact on how we view ourselves and how we treat our bodies, um, which I think is quite an interesting perspective in thinking about it. Yeah, he's right, isn't he? He really is. He really is. And today we're talking about spiritual health. Uh, what okay. do we mean by spiritual health? Oh, good question. It's a good start. What do we mean, Joe, by spiritual health? Well, I think we're all here because we're spiritual beings. You know, we, we believe in someone or something beyond ourselves. We're here because we want to kind of engage with that spiritual side of us. We're, we're not just about the physical. We've acknowledged that there's more to finding kind of purpose and meaning and balance in our lives. There's about more than Which than is just actually not just well-being. a Christian thing. It's, it, it seems to be more and more universally accepted that... You know, you don't treat the person. There's a holistic approach. People are more than just physical bodies. There's something about us that needs more than that. Now, a lot of us might not agree exactly with how we see things, but there is an acknowledgement that we are spiritual beings, I think, worldwide. We are. But, I mean, there's a difference between being spiritual and being spiritually healthy. You know, there are things that, that draw us... Um, in the right direction that are good for our spiritual health. I mean, you know, some people are healthier physically than others. We all need food to eat. Why are you looking at me? I'm not looking at you, love. I'm not looking at you. We, okay. <laughs> we, all, we all need to eat, and we make choices about what we eat and what we put into our body, and the same is true of our spiritual health, isn't it? We can make the choices that we make matter, don't we? Yeah, because ultimately speaking, like our bodies, we consume things, uh, but... Our spirit also feeds on things. And what we feed our souls actually influences our health, spiritual health anyway. Um, and as Christians, we've come to accept what Jesus' claim was, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Yeah, I mean, you can, a quick Google gave us 17 different ways to find spiritual well-being and health. Let's read that to them, and they, then we don't have to That'll do anything it. else. Job done. Yeah, job, job done. done. Nothing more to be done here today. I mean, you can read a million self-help blogs. You can read your horoscopes every day. There are many ways that you can supposedly reach spiritual health. But Jesus well, says... Let's engage with spiritual activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think probably, as those of us sat in the room, I hope that, you know, we've come because... We believe that Jesus is the way to that spiritual life. But actually, as Christians, do we, are we also a little bit 
at risk, I think, I've done this, of thinking that my spiritual activities might actually help me to be spiritually healthy or will do the job of making me spiritually healthy, that I can tick the box that I've come to church or I've opened the Bible app this week and therefore I'm spiritually healthy. And I suppose we're questioning, is there more to it than that? Yeah, because I think most of us would know the big, ultimate, unhealthy things. We don't dabble in the occult as Christians, but what are we actually doing that makes us healthier? And is it really making us healthier? I mean, we can all become members of the gym, but if we go every week to sit in a sauna, that's not really going to do much for our muscles, is it? We've actually got to engage in what the gym offers and all the activities the gym offers. Otherwise, we're shortchanging ourselves. And in a, in a way, our spiritual health, we need to engage in what's on offer from places like this. So maybe you were coming this morning and thinking, oh, it's a talk on spiritual health. They're going to give us a list of things we have to do. It'll be read your Bible. It'll be pray. It, they're going to give us the ultimate list, the ultimate app. It's out there, isn't it? The thing that can make you spiritually healthy. Is that what we're going to do? No. <laughs> I mean, Google could do it. Why can't we? Well, because we think there's a little bit more to it than that. Okay. Should we maybe go to the Bible? That's a good idea. Let's find out what Jesus thought about this. In John 10, verse 9, he said this. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, if you read around that passage, you can see that Jesus is saying, right, I am the way. I am the way to salvation. Come to me and you'll get a life, an eternal life. But it's not just any life. It's an abundantly rich life. This is an exciting life to live. However, it also says there's an enemy. There's someone who's trying to trick us to stop us enjoying that life. Um, he twists things, he kills things, he destroys things. He tries just to us to focus on, on things that are unhealthy. His role is to basically suppress our growth. If he can't steal away this eternal life, then he's going to make sure that he spoils it. Essentially, we're in a battle, aren't we? We're in a battle. And I think we wanted to talk a little bit about... What, what is it that can happen? How can our spiritual health be spoiled or stolen away? What does that look like? And actually, if this is all sounding a bit far-fetched, thinking, oh, you know, there's someone coming to steal and kill and destroy, maybe, you know, that doesn't sound very realistic. Well, I think it's really, really subtle, isn't it? Really subtle. Um, I think the enemy can trick us into pursuing a life of spiritual comfort rather than a life of spiritual health. He can shortchange us, really. We can buy into that idea that we believe that when God says he wants to bless us, that basically that equates to a life of ease. Yeah. Yep, the house, the money, the car, the straightforward life with no ill health, no problems, no difficulties. Surely I've got this genie in a bottle. Save me now. I've got this place in heaven, and now I can get on with my life as is. And if I need God... I can pray and Just life. call on him and he'll make all the problems go away. Surely that's what living a blessed life means. Yeah. That's, that's what God promises, right? But the whole world that we live in 
bombards us with this argument that a good life is a successful life, a rich life, having the right career, um, getting the right qualifications to start you off, um, finding the right partner, um, just earning money, being able to afford a comfortable lifestyle. That's what a good life is. But a great life is one also that is independent and autonomous and um, you make your own choices in life. Um, and, and the final cherry on the cake is you retire early and enjoy it. That, that's what a great life is, isn't it? Apparently so. I mean, according to the world, that's, that's what we should be aiming for. And um, it's really subtle, isn't it? I think even if, even for me, as someone, I don't think I'm that uh, sort of materialistic, but there's a part of me that is always thinking, oh, yeah, everything will be great when I, 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 once I've had that holiday or when I get to the weekend. Things will be better. Uh, that's what I'm aiming for. That's when I know that I'm fully satisfied when things are good. So if the world is telling us these things, what does the Bible tell us? Hmm. Okay, well, Paul gives us a really good idea. Paul was talking to the Philippians, and actually he talked about being able to be content in all circumstances, whether in need or in plenty. It's in Philippians 4, verse 11 to 13. And he talks about um, saying, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And I think this is in complete contrast with what the world would tell us we should be aiming for, with what the world would, would say would lead to a life of ease and a life of contentment. He, he had a very different set of priorities, didn't he? Yeah. He, he? Instead of looking at things that would... Um, I mean, we often have a sense of a spiritual hole, and we try and fill it with possessions and expensive things and enjoying experiences and all of that. But ultimately speaking, he knew what, what was really going to fill that hole, and that was... Anything that had eternal value, he knew that he wanted to be about the father's business. He wanted to, you know, whatever God asked of him, that was more important to him than anything else. He gained satisfaction from doing the job that his, mm. his Lord wanted him to do. I think ultimately his identity and his worth were in his relationship with Jesus in his relationship with God. That's where he found his worth. So his position wasn't based on whether his bank balance was full or empty, whether he was in prison or whether he was outside of prison. He gained his satisfaction. This kind of full and satisfying life came from his posture, which was one of gratitude to God for what he'd done for him and a position of worship and service to God. And I think, you know, subtly we lose that focus it's very easy to lose that focus there's this um john piper told this story of a couple who earned well in life pursued this amazing life and had enough money to retire early they retired early at 59 and uh, they got on a yacht and they sailed around um, on this yacht collecting shells going to beautiful places and he um postures well maybe what what happened when they went to um, heaven, when they arrived in heaven and they spoke to Jesus. 
And he said, oh, you know, what have you got to show me? What is there to show for your life? And they're like, oh, got some pretty shells. We had a great time. And actually, how gut-wrenching would that be? I can think of nothing worse than getting to heaven and saying, you know, I had a great time. Or wouldn't you rather be like Paul, being able to go to heaven and say, look at these lives of people that encountered you, people that, whose lives were changed, people who are now glorifying you, God, because of how I focused my life. Um, it was a real challenge to me reading that. Yeah. Our world tells us that being in control is the ultimate goal, is being financially secure is an ultimate goal. Um, living a life of ease is an ultimate goal. That's what we should be aiming for. But the Bible offers us a very s different idea of where we should get that sense of contentment, that peace for having a fulfilled life. Um, in Philippians 4, um, we read this. Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about dependence rather than independence. Obedience rather than disobedience or doing your Autonomy. own thing. Autonomy. An undivided heart. Jesus spoke about you can't be uh, follow two masters, money and, and God. You know, knowing who is ultimately in control of your life gives you a sense of peace and contentment. I think it's, it's so countercultural, isn't it? I remember having a conversation with um, one of my friends when I went to uni and I'd plucked up the courage to tell her about my faith and I'd said I was a Christian and that was great because, you know, God was with me and everything and I could come to him for help. And she was like, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, Joe, but you, you know that, that really religion is just a crutch. It says, you know, you're kidding yourself because really you need to be standing on your own feet. You need to be uh, independent. Why would you want to be reliant on someone else other than yourself? And that was really the way she saw the world. That was the ultimate pinnacle of what you should be moving towards. But actually, what the Bible says is the complete opposite. The complete opposite. That our peace, not contentment, or not ease rather, but absolute peace and fulfillment comes from praying about everything, literally laying it all before God, thanking him, being in a position of gratitude and a posture of worship towards him, like it's not about me, it's about God first. And peace isn't the absence of conflict, it's having a confidence in knowing that God is in control, even if you're going through it. Mm. Um, you know, we can be positive thinking, but ultimately speaking, it's who we trust in that matters. Um, if our identity is set, if our destiny is set, if we know who we are in our relationship with God, no matter what happens, you know, we can have a great career, but if our role, our identity is in that job, what happens when we lose that job? How do we cope with that reality? But if we've got our identity is set in our relationship with God, that's not going to change, no matter what hits us in this life. That's peace. Yeah. 
And there's a brilliant um, verse, isn't there, in Psalm, Psalms 86, 11. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, so take pleasure in him. Find your delight and your true pleasure in him and get to know him. And then he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord, your finances, your life, your job, your health. Commit everything to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. And I think um, that we can read that as Christians and read that he will give you the desires of your heart and miss the bit that comes before, which is to take your delight in him, to know him and put him first. Um, I was watching this story that um, Jay John was talking about, and he was, he was comparing Christianity to having a car. And uh, we get this car, and we want Jesus to be with us on the journey. But some of us have got Jesus in the boot. And we get him out when we want to every Sunday and say, come on, Jesus, out you come. Let's have Dust Jesus hour. And then pop him back in the boot and carry on with life. But some of us allow him to be a passenger, a backseat passenger, but a passenger along with us, along the ride. But ultimately, we're in control. Really good ones know that Jesus is our friend. And so oh, he's, he's, beside, in, he's me. beside me up front. We're doing this together. But actually, the Christian should be one that hands over the driving seat to Jesus, gives over control to him, and lets him drive us wherever he wants us to be. Now, that's not easy. You know, he turns right down Generous Street, and we go, hmm, how generous? I'm not sure. You know, a lot of us are backseat drivers, aren't we? And he turns left and takes us down Forgiveness Avenue. And we go, no, 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 I don't like that person. They don't deserve to be forgiven. That's not easy. Who's ultimately driving when we're traveling through life? There's a, a Bible passage also um, in Matthew 7. Jesus talks about a parable of um, two guys who build a house two different houses in two different spots. One builds the easy way on the sand. And that's straightforward to dig foundations up and sort it all out and everything. The other one chooses a much harder route. He builds on a rock. It's solid, but it takes a lot more effort and time. That's fine. They both have a lovely place to stay. But when the storms of life come, when the rains come and the waters come up, that's when our life is tested. What's going to happen to what we've built? Are we building our life on the right thing? Okay, so good point to come back to. How do we grow and be spiritually healthy then? We've decided that spiritual health is important. How do we achieve that? Well, I, I'm, the first thing I think is what is gonna, we are going to build our life around. Hmm. Because ultimately... The most important thing to us is going to be central. Mm. And everything else will fit in. All the things that are less important to us, we will fit around the most important thing. Now, if that's your family, that's great. If that's your career, that's great. But where does God come into that? Are we fitting God in? 
you know, if I'm tired, do I miss out on church or miss out on talking to God? If God is the center of our lives, then we want to talk to him all the time, every day. If his people are, the, are really important to us because it's our church family, then when the church is open, I want to be there. I certainly want to be there because I know I'm going to meet God in that occasion. And I know, I mean, Don promised that this series was going to step on some toes. And we're doing some toe stepping right now. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy to think, well, you know, God, God is central. But, you know, my family comes first. Actually, that's, that's not what God would say. That's not what the Bible says. Actually, God comes first. If he's central, then the family will slot into place. The job will slot into place. The finances will slot into place. It means sometimes that, that you choose to be here in this place or you choose to be in life group or you choose that time with God over the pressures and the demands or the, the things of family life or your work. And that's really hard. It's not easy. And we don't, we don't get it right. We don't get it right all the time. Um, but it's important and it's an important um, distinction to make. Because family and work and leisure, they're good things. They're good things that God has given us. But they only remain good things if they're not ahead of God, if they're not idols in our life. Okay, so what else is going to be healthy for us? Well, do you know what? Paul had some more ideas when he was talking to the Philippians. In Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then he says, keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So like I'm, I'm hearing from that. There's a sense that we need to be learning. We need to be growing. We're people who need to change. It's, it's not a case of you make a commitment to God at some point in your life and then you go and get on with your life and then when it comes back to your deathbed, you think about, mm, crumbs, okay, I'm about to go to heaven. Let's have a little think about this again and sort my life out. This is something that you're on a journey doing right now. But I think... Can I just say, when I was younger, I learned that if you're not hungry and thirsty for more of God that's an indication that something's wrong. Yeah. Um, and you've got to get back in tune with, with your father. And you've got to think, okay, what do I need to do to get back in touch and tune in? Because if I've lost that hunger and thirst, I've lost the most important thing there is. Yeah. And I think this is one of those times when the thief comes back in again to kind of almost trick us into thinking that learning and growing is just about accumulating information. I can come and sit in church. I can even go along to small group midweek. I can open that Bible app or I can and read my daily devotional. I've accumulated some information and therefore I'm growing. But it's actually, a very Western church type it is, of attitude, yeah. isn't it? That's, that's how we do it here, isn't it, in the Western church, is that we sort of accumulate information. Um, but actually, if you look at the Bible, that's not how Jesus did it. <laughs> I mean, he did. He preached he did great sermon sermons. He preached great sermons. And he did he teach did, people. Yeah, and his followers did go, you know, you have meet in the synagogue and explain things and teach people. But the disciples spent time with Jesus. 
he, I mean, I love the, the series of The Chosen because mm. it shows you that practical eating and drinking and sleeping and moving around together. And, and Jesus teaches as he goes along and just demonstrates how you live a different life. Um, I think that's a powerful way of learning. Jesus was in relationship with his disciples, wasn't he? And that's what Paul's saying here. He's essentially saying, imitate me. He's saying, what you saw me doing, what you've heard me saying, and what you've seen me doing, do that. Which it's, it's saying, he's saying, you don't just gather information. You need to model yourself on, on what you see me doing. And, you know, we see Jesus in each other, and there's something about us being in relationship with each other and intentionally choosing to be in relationships that encourage our growth, relationships that um, involve honesty and accountability, relationships that help us through those difficult moments of life and help us to see God and hear God's voice speaking to us in those difficult moments of life. And there's two. There's the formal way, which is sort of a mentorship, and and you deliberately come under someone's guidance and learn from them and see how they're doing it and live life with them in a way. Um, but there's also the informal, mm. that you surround yourself in a culture that you're going to learn from. You know, show me the, the closest five people in your life and that will be an indication of the type of character that you've acquired from them mm. because we learn from the people we're surrounded by. They influence our thoughts and our, our ways of looking at life. I mean, subconsciously, we kind of take on a way of speaking. We take on attitudes and values, don't we, of those around us. I mean, little ones like Liberty over there, you know, Jake and Sophie aren't going to teach her to talk. They're not going to teach her to speak, particularly. She's going to be in an environment and she's going to model herself on what she hears around her. She's going to naturally learn to speak from being in that environment. And there's a part of our learning that happens from being here in this place or being around, surrounded by other Christians learning and growing. But I mean, personally, I can say that intentionally choosing those mentor relationships, those closer relationships where I allow people into my life to speak into my life, to question me, to call me out on stuff. Um, there's particular people that I allow to do that in my life. And that has revolutionized my walk with God. And so I'd really challenge you, think about that. Who do you look at and think, I, want, I see Jesus in them, and I want to model my life on Jesus, so I want to know what they have to say. I want them to speak into my life. Um, and I'd, I'd recommend that. It's made a big difference for me. The Pharisees came to Jesus and challenged him, said, what's the most important spiritual thing? I mean, they talked about commandments, but ways of living spiritually. What's the most important one? And Jesus' answer was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' answer was very much rooted in relationships. Um, they are important. He who spent time with his father every day, he lived life with his disciples. He spent time with those in need, and people were important to him. I think that love, though, he talks about love, and it's easy to hear love and see something quite fluffy <laughs> or feelings-based, you know, kind of be nice to God, love God, be nice to people. And it's actually not that. It's, it's loving with all your passion, all your intellect, all of the core of who you are. 
It's properly sacrificial love. Jesus doesn't really leave the option of come to church, smile at people on a Sunday and then go about your daily business as an option for us. He doesn't leave that option open. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying get in relationship. You know, spend time with people outside of this place. Do life together. You know, go about your daily life and let people speak into those situations like, you know, how you're parenting your kids, how you're dealing with that issue at work. What does God say about that? What do the people that are following Jesus have to say about how you're living your life? Let them in. And that, this is another toe-stepping moment, guys, because that's really uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's vulnerable. It's, it's not easy. It's really not very British. We don't do that, do we? No. We're kings of our castle. We have the doors closed. We go out, we present ourselves to the world, and then we come back in again. And what happens behind closed doors is up to us. And actually, that's not how Jesus modeled discipleship to be. It was much more involved than that. So, I don't know. We'll go back to the 17 steps, shall we? Okay. Have we we got a list for them now? Okay, right now, listen, get your notes out. Okay, so the the 17 steps are... We've got the app that's going to change your life. Joking apart, I think actually routines and disciplines are really helpful. You know, praying every day and keeping in touch with God is really helpful. Reading his word every day is really helpful. And we're not against those things. Those are the things that are really practical and helpful. But hanging out with other Christians is really helpful. But, you know, I think this is one of those moments where you can think you've got this all sewn up. And then the enemy sneaks in through the back door. Because you know what happens is you think, um, that's all right. I've, I've done my routines. I'm reading. I'm praying. I've ticked that box. And then... You drop the ball and you stop and the enemy whispers in your ear, oh, well, you've failed now. You've dropped off that wagon. You may as well stop bothering. There's no point because the attitude we have when we come to these routines and disciplines is that this is the thing that is keeping us right in our walk with God. And it's not. (laughs) These are the things that allow for connection points with God. That's how we come to these things. Our attitude shouldn't be that, oh, this is a chore. This is a thing I have to do to be a good enough Christian. That's not how we come to those things. That's not why we're doing it. This is a framework that we build our lives upon because these are opportunities for God to speak into my life. If I'm not here in church on a Sunday, that word that he's given to Ruth for me, I can't receive. If I'm not in life group, how am I going to be able to speak into that situation of my brother or sister that really needs what God's been talking to me this week? This isn't a chore or a thing we have to do. This is something we get to do because we get to live life together as a family. So to finish, I'd, I'd say this. Challenge yourself. What are you building your life around? What is the most important thing to you? Is it Jesus? Focus on what you're building. And if you remember those retired couple, what legacy are you going to have at the end of your life to hand Jesus and say, this is what I did. This is what I achieved. Is it a few nice experiences and an easy life? Or is it something worthwhile, something that made a difference in others? Let's close with a prayer. If you've never given your life to Jesus, 
then let's pray together about that to start off with. Lord, just want to ask you to come and be in the driving seat of my life. Take control of where I'm going and help me to follow you, to give myself to you. And for those who've made that commitment and realize that they've lost something, they've been distracted, and we all are, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry that we've stopped putting you first, that we've allowed the attitudes of the world to creep in. Help us to continue now with you in control and build our lives around you. Amen.